on radio, streaming live on investtalk.com, and for our podcast subscribers. This is Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. And now, KPP Financial President, Financial Advisor Steve Peasley. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. Hi, uh, this is Dan from Walnut Creek, California, and I had a question on dividends. I was wondering, if you reinvest dividends, do you get taxed twice for them, once at the end of the year, and then once when you go and sell that stock? Thank you. No. You get taxed by the dividend, and if you reinvest the dividend into more shares, your cost base changes because you're buying more shares at that time of the dividend being issued to you. So your cost base changes for the that purchase. Therefore, if the stock doesn't go up from there, there will be no capital gains from that purchase. If you bought the other shares at a lower price, you'll have capital gains for them. Okay? So, you know, that's that's how that works. So you do not get taxed twice. Let's go to James in Sonoma. Let's talk about bonds or preferred stocks. Yes, uh, my uh, IRA is uh, tremendously out of balance, as you can, I'm sure you're facing in your accounts. Uh, so I want to limit it not to individual stocks, but not to individual bonds or preferred stocks. Just like make it apples to apples, ETF or bonds going in an IRA. Um, I've got bonds also. I've got ETFs. This is just trying to balance it a little bit more. Which would you pick and why? When you're saying ETFs, uh, are you talking about a preferred share oh, ETF? Pre- preferred, preferred, yeah, preferred ETF uh, and a preferred bond. And a bond, yeah, uh, bond ETF. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I don't love bond fixed income assets within a particular with it, you know, the ETFs. I rather own the bonds directly. So, if you can own bonds directly, that's what I would recommend. Uh, now, preferred stocks can be okay. What I don't like about the preferred stocks is that they're they're highly uh, highly sensitive to higher interest rates. The duration risk is typically a lot higher, and obviously unless you're buying really, really long-term bonds. So that's number one. In an environment where inflation is likely to remain persistently high, where interest rates are likely to go higher to some degree rather than lower, um, I don't like that. And then also with bonds, you're near, at or near the top of the capital structure. With preferreds, you're kind of in the middle. Yeah, you're better than, than uh, the equities. But you're far down from the bond. Bondholders are going to get uh, in a bankruptcy. Uh, are a lot more protected than you, uh, the preferred sh- shareholder. So if I'm picking one or the other, I'm going bonds uh, because of uh, those reasons. Thanks for the call. Hi, Justin or Steve. This is Nick in Nebraska. Wanted to ask a quick question about a Roth IRA account that I have some stocks in. Back during the shutdown of 2020, I bought 10 shares of Avis at $10 a piece, and today they were up at $360. So I figured 
it would be a good time to sell at least one of those shares. So I did. But I was curious, being that it's a Roth IRA, my understanding is that that's for retirement. So am I going to incur a penalty because I sold something before retirement? Just curious as to the answer on something like that. I'll look forward to hearing from you on the podcast. Thank you. The answer is no. You don't pay any taxes on a Roth IRA. So all the growth that you just had on that very good pick that you did, you will never have to pay taxes, and you can sell it anytime you want to. You can buy and sell in your IRA and your Roth IRA and not pay taxes on the capital gains. The beauty about a Roth is you never have to pay taxes on that money. Never. At a regular IRA, when you start withdrawing it in, at retirement age, that money you withdraw in the year that you withdraw it, however much, is added to your adjusted gross income for that year, and you have to pay income tax on it. So the Roth, never. Regular IRA, yes, you have to pay an income tax when you start drawing it out. And you can't not draw it out. They force you at age 72 to start taking that money out. It used to be 70. They changed it to 70 years old. Now it's 72 years old. So, no, don't worry about paying taxes on either one of those. Capital gain taxes don't apply. Okay, good question, though. Thank you for asking. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about P.E. ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. No question is too simple. Wanted to ask about Teladoc. And each question is an important part of the podcast. My wife has a role over 401k from a previous employer. I was curious if this is eligible to be used to do a backdoor Roth. Steve and Justin are fearless. That's fairly inexpensive for this kind of explosive growth. The problem here is that you're picking a leveraged ETF. Tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk. You've been instrumental in my understanding how this market works. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey, Justin and Steve, this is Anwar calling from DC. I'm calling today to ask you sort of a philosophical question in two parts. The first part is I own a home that I'm currently renting out. And I have some extra cash in my budget every month. And I'm wondering, is it smarter to invest that cash back into the home to pay off my mortgage sooner? I've, I've done the math. If I invest that cash, I'll pay off my mortgage about uh, 10 years sooner. I'll save myself something like $80,000. And to me, that's a guaranteed $80,000 back into my bank account. And conversely, I could take that same cash and throw it into my government savings plan, my TSP, and that's been doing fairly well for me, um, 16%, but it has the inherent associated risk 
of being an investment versus a guaranteed percentage that the bank has secured offering me the loan. I'd really like to know your perspective on that. I appreciate everything you guys have do. Long-time listener in the past three years, and I uh, look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Well, you broke down that perfectly, and that's the way you need to think about it is – and that's for everyone out there looking at paying down their mortgage is when you pay down your mortgage faster than necessary, you are basically guaranteeing yourself that particular rate that your, uh, your mortgage has, uh, that mortgage carries. Now, I don't know if this is an investment property, which if it is, it probably has a little bit higher interest rate. So that's something to, to think about. Uh, but when it comes to your TSP, the first thing you have to, you have to ask is, are you getting some sort of match? I don't know uh, if you can get that within a TSP, but um, if you're getting a company match of some some sort, you definitely want to make sure you're maxing that out because that 50% or 100%, even if it's 25% match, whatever that is, that guaranteed is going to exceed whatever you're guaranteed at your at your uh, on that mortgage. Then it comes down to your risk tolerance level. What type of risk are you taking with your other assets? Uh, what type of risk are you comfortable with? What type of volatility are you comfortable with? Because you go put it in the market and you're going to have volatility. Uh, but over the long run, you should get much better than, you know, three, four percent rate that you're getting on, or you're paying on your mortgage. Now, the TSP definitely makes it a little bit less attractive because TSPs are so limited. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of sad and, and gross how, how limited TSPs are. And Therefore, it makes it even less attractive to contribute to that TSP. So it's hard for me to give you a straight answer. It's really about how aggressive you want to be. Is that a goal to really pay off that, that mortgage? Maybe you want to live off of that interest on the, uh, sorry, the rent income from that property uh, in the near future. And maybe that becomes more of a priority to pay that down. Uh, but if you think of the numbers, just straight numbers and nothing to do with uh, your, your risk tolerance levels, you're going to earn more longer term in the markets. So like the earnings yield of uh, the market, you know, in the, the low to mid 20s, uh, four or 5% there, uh, tax deferred on the on the TSP as well. So that's how you have to think about it. Raw numbers, no emotions, more money into the markets. Here are the directions for reaching Steve this afternoon with your question. Just call 888-99-CHART, C-H-A-R-T. Have a question about how best to get into the market? Or maybe you're feeling unsure about your current investments. That's what this is all about. This is Invest Talk. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Paul in Alabama. I've been listening to your comments recently about being kind of bullish on uh, natural gas long term. Uh, I do own some petroleum stocks and some of the support companies like Schlumberger and that. But should I wait a little bit for the prices come down? They seem to have a pretty good run over the past several months. So should I wait for a better buying opportunity to get into something like EOG? Or should I just go ahead and do it now? Thanks. Um, I think I would wait for a pullback and either, you know, we've had a very good run in natural gas, right? I mean, but nothing goes up straight in a straight line. And uh, EOD, for instance, did have a pullback in October uh, from 6 down to 540, where it found support. Now it's at 583. So if it breaks above 6, I'd probably go ahead and buy it because it's a breakout. That's a lot of, a lot of resistance at $6. 
So I'd wait for either a pullback into the five fifty dollar five fifty area or a breakout above six. If you're talking about EOD WF Golden Dividend Opportunities uh, ETF, that's a closed-in fund. Matter of fact, not even an opened-end ETF. I would wait for a pullback to try to get it at better prices. I don't like to buy uh, when something's already made a pretty strong run. And sometimes I miss out because it continues to make that run. Trust me, I I understand that. But you know, I know we can't all buy at the bottom. That's not happening. But Charting really helps you decide where and when to buy things. So, um, you know, I, I would follow a chart on the various stocks you're following and buy them on pullbacks or breakouts. That's what they call those things. Now let's squeeze in one more caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. I'm calling with a question about the book, A Random Walk Down Wall Street by uh, Burton Malkiel. And I had a question about uh, the chapter that has to do with technical analysis, um, chapter six. There's a lot of talk about, you know, different technical systems. And and basically the main reason that the author is kind of pointing to these systems not working is because of the transaction fees with trading equities. And since nowadays we don't really have a whole lot of transaction fees, I'm wondering if a lot of these approaches such as, say, the filter system would be something that is worth looking into. So I was wondering if you guys could maybe discuss that a little bit on the show. That would be wonderful. Thank you for all you guys do and take care. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Well, first, let's address a random walk down Wall Street. I read it in college, and I think it's I think it's complete bunk. Uh, just go look at uh, 08 and what happened then. And uh, basically, it's saying that all available information is known, so the markets are efficient. Well, clearly, markets are more emotional uh, than efficient. And so I think the whole premise of a walk down Wall Street is wrong. Um, and then when it comes to technical analysis, you're right. It used to there used to be a drag on performance for uh, traders and those that use technical analysis to get in and out of positions uh, because of commissions. Well, that's no longer really the case. Yes, there are some small, um, I guess you could call, spreads that Robinhood and the other brokers are making now by selling order flow and all that. And that's certainly true. And maybe you'll get a better fill in the past than you would have before. And so uh, those fees are, are maybe more hidden. Uh, but they're certainly a lot less than they used to be. And so uh, I think technical analysis definitely uh, works has its strengths, let's say that, has its strengths and uh, is a great toolkit to have, uh, especially if you're a short-term trader, a medium-term trader. Technicals oftentimes completely override uh, the fundamentals, especially with uh, money flow, uh, with indexing uh, being so automated today. Uh, there's so much money flow with the Reddit crowd and the uh, Robinhood traders that are chasing story stocks and oftentimes that can override any fundamental changes as well. Uh no long term earnings matter, cash flows matter. We we know that over a long period of time. And as long as they a long period, it's like in 20 you know 15 20 years. That's a long period of time. Uh and so uh I do think though if you are a short term trader, you can use technical analysis and it will be uh, a great tool for you uh, to make, put, put the odds in your favor, okay, beyond just the, the fundamental analysis. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you 888 99 chart. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your questions. 
listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99 Chart is our number, 888 992 4278. Hi, Duncan from New York. Again, thank you so much for everything. I got an email from you guys. You guys sent a free PDF saying value investing worksheet. I really appreciate that. That has helped me out. Quick question on this worksheet. You were explaining a couple of things in quantitative data. The first one says return on invested capital, ROIC. I understand that. Now, when I look at the metrics on, let's say, Fidelity or Finviz, I only see ROI. Is that the same thing, ROI and ROIC? And which is more important, return on equity or return on invested capital? Looking forward to the answer, and thank you so much for the valuable information. Bye. All right. Well, this goes to the heart of why it's difficult to uh, really do the research on your own without paying for some tools. Uh, and that's why I say when you're looking at a broker, the tools that they can give you free of charge uh, oftentimes is, is more important, especially in the day and age where uh, the the cost of trading is, is, is nothing. Okay, so that's first off. So finding good data is important. And then the difference between return on equity and return on invested capital are uh, as follows. Return equity is calculating your return to shareholders based on the equity capital within uh, 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 the, the capital structure of a business uh, and a balance sheet, whereas return invested capital takes into account debt and equity. So oftentimes, return on equity will be skewed because of the leverage, the amount of debt that a company has on its balance sheet. So to have uh, to, to calculate a return on equity, you take the return on assets times its leverage. So if its return on assets are, are low, but it has high leverage, its return on equity can look very, very good. But the problem is, is when if it's a cyclical business and times are, are tough and that return on assets goes, say, negative, suddenly, or, or goes uh, you know, to zero, suddenly that return on equity disappears rather fast and it can go strongly the opposite direction. Okay. So that's the issue with return on equity. Return on invested capital uh, calculates it using both debt and equity. And so it's going to, usually it's a lower number and it allows you to kind of filter out for that leverage factor. And so if I'm going to pick one or the other, I'm going to pick return on invested capital over return on equity because it takes into account all of the capital on its balance sheet, not just the equity. Hope that helps. InvestTalk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. Hi guys, Lee from North Carolina here. I had a question about Stitch Fix, ticker SFIX. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific time. Hey, Justin and Steve, this is Phil in Washington, D.C. Love you guys. I've learned so much. Or they can leave their questions anytime, 24 7, in the Invest Talk voice bank. Look forward to hearing your answers on the podcast. Thanks. 
Remember, for live or recorded questions, the number never changes. 888-99-CHART. Hi, uh, this is John from Sunnyvale. Hey, my question is, for a fixed income part of a portfolio, what do you think of the TIP ETF that invests in Treasury inflation-protected securities right now? In particular, given the um, duration is 7.6 years and interest rates and also inflation are both expected to rise. Also, how do you compare this relative to other fixed income investment alternatives right now? Like, for example, maybe an ETF or a closed-end fund of corporate bonds or munis, maybe with a shorter duration, perhaps a latter corporate bonds where you'd have less interest rate risk? Thanks. Well, of those, I like the laddered corporate bonds best. I, I like you, I like to own the actual bonds and have a number of them and kind of manage my own little mini mutual fund of bonds. Um, um, I don't have a problem with the uh, TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, TIPS, uh, because inflation is increasing. The base rate is pretty low where it starts because the 10-year and the two-year are very low, so it's a very low rate starting. But they keep adding every six months, they readjust the return based on inflation. As inflation goes up, they pay more tips, pay more um, yield. You get more, make more money. So I kind of like that idea. I don't like the ETF or bond funds. In general, I don't like them because the values will go down as interest rates rise. The net, net asset value of the fund will go down as interest rates rise. Maybe a multi, uh, multi-maturity multi date type fund might work where they can lean on shorter shorter terms right now instead of the long terms. But again, I'd like you buying corporate bonds, quality corporate bonds first. And when I say quality, they don't have to be AAA. That's not the way the place to be because they don't pay hardly anything. You have to get down to the triple B plus area. And you start getting some good payments. And there's great companies down there. Don't think that they're bad companies. They're not. They're not. Triple B, triple B plus are good quality bonds. And you can get, you know, 3 4%, 4.5%. And that's a sweet spot right now, in my opinion. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. And you can get through right now. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. 
so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, this is Brian from Laguna Beach, California. I just wanted to see if you can go over the quick ratio and how we can use that among what the price to earnings ratio and other financial measures to pick a good stock. Thank you. Well, uh, Laguna Beach, well, you're a local here. I'm right now in Laguna Beach as well. It's where I live. And you're looking at the quick ratio. Now, you talked about it as price to sales, and it sounded like some other uh, ratios. And just because they're ratios doesn't mean that they are used the same way. When you're looking at price to sales, price to earnings, enterprise value to EBITDA, all these different valuation metrics, what you're doing is you're looking at uh, what kind of multiple of that metric the market is putting on the name. And you may decide that's too low, too high compared to different uh, companies in the industry, uh, et cetera. And that's how you look at those type of ratios. But the quick ratio is not evaluation ratio. It is a balance sheet metric. And it's fairly simple. And it's a good way to understand the solvency, the liquidity of a particular company. Now, it's quick and it's dirty. So it's by no means perfect. But it can help you understand a company that maybe have, has a decent amount of debt 
whether or not it's in good financial standing. Now, what is the quick ratio? It's current assets minus inventory divided by current liabilities. Now, what are what does that all what does all that mean? Well, current assets are assets that uh, are going to likely turn into cash or can turn into cash or maybe is cash very quickly. Current liabilities are liabilities you must pay in the next year. The idea is. You want current assets minus inventory. So inventory, it's assumed you're going to turn into cash in the near term, but it's not guaranteed. So we're going to back out inventory from that those current assets. And then what is left over? And is that higher than current liabilities or is that lower than current liabilities? If it's higher, it means you have enough cash, you have enough liquidity in theory to pay off all those liabilities that are coming up due in the next year. Now, if you don't, that could be a problem. You might default on those liabilities. And that's what that is there for. It's just an accounting metric. It's not anything that's going to give you an understanding whether the company is cheap or expensive. 888-992-4278. Love to talk to you. Let's go to James in New York. Wants to talk about 401ks. James. Yes, good evening. So um, I'd like to kind of piggyback off of a question a gentleman asked about a month ago. And the question was about... Uh, speaking about how his 401k contributions were not happening every pay period, but they were happening on like a monthly basis. And your response to that was that it's wrong. I was just hoping to see if you could maybe emphasize on that answer. It's wrong. How wrong is it? What does that mean? Is it well? Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. Is it illegal? No, it's not illegal. It's what. It is possible, but very remotely possible, it could be okay. But when you put in a percentage of your payroll to be taken, which is whatever it is, okay, an employer matches, I've never heard it not be based on whatever pay period you're on. If you're on a weekly pay period or biweekly or monthly, for it to skip a weekly pay period and be once a month, that's possible it could be set up that way, but I've never heard anybody do it. Therefore, I think he needs to check into it. If he says he wanted to put 10%, are they taking 10% of that pay period for two weeks or 10% for the whole four weeks, but they're only taking it every other paycheck? It does not sound right to me. So, therefore, you need to check it. But as far as being illegal, no, it just got to be wrong, you know, but... You just got to fix it. Now, the employer, you know, may have to owe back contributions. That's possible if they, you know, if they're supposed to contribute, you know, 4% of pay period. But again, from my point of view, I don't know what exactly that benefit to them on the 401k actually specifies. And I've been doing this for years and years and years, you know, and I do it for my own employees. And I, in the past, have sold 401ks, so I know how they're structured, and it just sounded wrong to me. James, thanks for okay, the call. Thank you. Appreciate the call. I really do. Yeah, so just check to make sure you should always verify. I have a fairly new employee, went on our 401k plan last week, and they took the money out, and I, I matched, but it didn't show up in his paycheck 401k plan. Didn't show up. So the money's floating around somewhere. That's what I mean. You got to check to make sure once it's up and running and, you know, there's no glitches, you're fine. But, you know, the, especially initially, you got to really make sure it's done and set up correctly. 
The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. I'm about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Noel in Napa, and he wants to ask uh, about a book. Yeah, hi, Justin. Yeah, I'm currently reading uh, The Intelligent Investor by uh, Benjamin Graham. I'm sure you're aware of that book. Mm-hmm. And this one is the latest uh, revised edition. I think it's copyright 2003, so it's the latest one. But, uh, mm-hmm. of course, this comes from way in the past, uh, Benjamin Graham. But... Uh, this has the preface and appendix by Warren Buffett, and it has uh, commentary by Jason Zweig. But anyhow, on page uh, 405, Benjamin Graham warns convertible securities always come out of the woodwork near the end of a bull market, largely because even poor quality companies don't have stock returns high enough to make a conversion future attractive. But I haven't heard the word convertible security in a long time and uh, do they exist much anymore to make this appropriate and, and if it if it is still appropriate this verbiage where would i check on it they're still around convertible securities are still around uh, tesla's uh, a perfect example of a company that uh, has issued a lot of convertible securities and remember basically what a convertible security is 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 it's a bond instrument uh low yielding and instead of in place of yield you're basically purchasing a call option on the on the company. And so when people are very bullish on the underlying company, they're willing to pay up for the, uh, the that that uh, that call option. And there and therefore the yield on the security is is very very low. Um and typically the uh, these companies are that are issuing them are not making a ton of money, uh, they, they need to uh, borrow a bunch of money. Tesla's a good example. And that's why they tend to show up near the end of these bull cycles is because there's a lot of confidence in these companies uh, and there's the willingness for these companies to sell shares uh, at higher valuations as well. And so that's certainly true. Now, is this, uh, is this an environment where convertible securities are very popular? Not really. Um, because I think there's other vehicles, there's other ways to uh, speculate that's a more pure play on the upside of markets, right? Just buying calls outright, uh, other speculative plays like crypto, uh, et cetera. And so from a, a a total risk perspective, they're not, I don't think, high risk enough for people on average. Uh, and they're a bit too complex, I think, for a lot of people as well because of the bond side and the equity call option, et cetera. So I, I wouldn't use this in this cycle. Now, the next cycle might be different. It, may, it might be all the rage, um, but it, it's not something that I think is, is a hallmark of this particular cycle. But great question and love that you're reading that book. Let's keep the momentum going and get back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from New York on 888.99 chart. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Dylan from New York. I have a nonstop related question for you guys this time. I run a company. It's a partnership LLC. And my business partner and I are always sitting on a ton of money set aside for our taxes. We pay quarterly. We pay a UBT every year. But we still have a lot of money that we keep on the side. Every time we pay ourselves, we keep on the sidelines to pay 
all of our taxes. A question I have for you guys is if we have a period like from now till tax season, we've got like three or four months until we have to pay up some taxes. We have a large amount of money sitting in there. What do you think about putting it in something like a SPY or like some type of relatively safe ETF? I know there's no such thing as safe, but do you have any recommendations for where to put that money besides just sitting in a savings account where it potentially work a little bit for us before we have to pay it up for tax season? Appreciate you guys. Hope to hear an answer soon. Thank you. All right, great question. Well, I'll tell you what, what I do with, with my cash and, and we, what we do is uh, we use Marcus by Goldman Sachs. It's a half a percent. It's pretty easy to use and it's very liquid, high yield savings account. That's what I would do. Uh, you're talking about three months, very short period of time. Uh, the SP could easily drop 10% in three months. Not out of the question. Happens regularly. So you definitely don't want to put that in the SPY. You want to be in something very safe and liquid. And I know you're going to say, well, inflation is X. You need liquidity. You have to pay your taxes. But you, like you said, you want to earn something on it. Um, so I would not be putting that in anything too risky. You want liquid. Now, what you could do is find a CD and maybe you'll get a CD rate on something three, four months that uh, could be higher than half a percent. And I would search for something like that. And then you can target, you know, when it matures and when you're going to need that money uh, and line those up. Uh, it's kind of lining up asset and, and liability uh, timeframes. And that might be a better way to go. Um, but if you want something liquid, very short term, uh, Marcus by Goldman Sachs is, is probably uh, the simplest, easiest and best yielding uh, that I've seen out there. Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is David from Montana. I was wondering if you guys could recommend a good book on chart reading. Thanks. Well, there's a number of them. Uh, we have uh, on our website, Let's see, I'm looking for books, and I'm going down, see if we can find a Fundamentals Classic Technical Analysis. There's a section, and you'll see all kinds of books under there. So go to KPP Financial or investtalk.com, go to uh, Education, go to the Books section, and the best book out there, I think, is Technical Analysis of Financial Markets That's by John Murphy. It's a very, very good book. One that's like a textbook that is also very good is by Robert D. Edwards, Technical Analysis of Stock Trends. I think that's the best one out there, that and the first one I mentioned. And then there's, if you want to learn candlestick charts, there's Beyond Candlesticks, a book out there by that. So there's like four or five of them on, my, on our website that you can pick, okay, that talks about charting. Anyways, take a look. Hi, my name is Brandon, and uh, I just started my investing, mainly Roth IRAs for me and my wife, but I also have about a $20,000 account that I'm kind of dabbling in. My question is, I made a lot of gains off of the 2020 lows, and now I'm switching to more of a like three ETFs, three stocks like Microsoft, like kind of safer stocks. I have a 20-year horizon, and my question is simply, you know, since I'm, my retirement's so far out, how do I deal with the ups and downs? Like, this, it's been a very volatile year, and like I believe today it's like three percent down. How do I, you know, the mindset of not looking or just, you know, just keep investing and don't worry about the 
today's climate necessarily best for the future. Thank you. Okay, that's an excellent question because the biggest problem most people have is they let fear and greed control their decisions. And many people don't even think they're doing that, but they are doing it. When I say fear and greed, they feel what happens is that your 401k, your IRA goes down 50%. Fear sets in and they tend to sell. And this is not something I'm making up. There's been study after study proving this. Then after the market recovers quite a bit, they tend to get back in. What are you doing? You're selling low and buying high. You're doing just the opposite of what you should do in the stock market. So one of the solutions is don't ever sell. Just stay in the market. If you're in a long-term investor, you can just stay in the market, buy indexes, and just hold on, and you'll be fine. Now, as you get closer to retirement, you might want to be a little bit sharper by maybe spreading out into different asset classes, uh, bonds in particularly, to you know spread your risk. Okay, but it really comes down from the onset. Well, how risky do you want to be? If you want to take full stock market risk, what you do, buy an index and just stay the course. Now, if you have the ability. When the market is high, like it has been, produce some cash, and then the next recession, dump all that money back in. If you can do that when the market has crashed, you'll be much better off. Most people can't do it. The market's crashed. Oh, my God, I can't get in the market. It's crashed. It's still crashing. How far do I? Maybe it goes down to zero. The uh, fear sets in. Now, when the market's high, everybody gets greedy. For instance, you said you had a really good return from last year. What are you doing? You probably should take some of that off the table a little bit. You know, at least a very, very least rebalance into more uh, defensive type positions, maybe maybe some commodity stocks, you know, maybe get out of your high growth positions, you know, but then you're going to have to know what know how to do. You're going to have to learn how to manage your portfolio. And if you can't do that or don't have the time to do that or don't want to do that, just stay in the indexes. You'll be fine. Especially if you're in a 401k and the money keeps coming in and you keep having money to invest. You know, you can just keep investing right through the crash. You want to crash because then you get to buy things on sale if you're a long-term investor. Okay? Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, call it savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's go to Dave in Honolulu looking at uh, inflation. What's your question, Dave? Uh, good afternoon. Well, from Honolulu, good afternoon. Question about 2022. If we believe that inflation is not transitory and it's going to be with us, uh, certainly until the ch- supply chain picks up and we maybe experience a gut in a year or so, um, what would you look at? What sectors in the equity industry would you look at for inflationary protective uh, investments? It's a great question. That depends uh, on whether the economy remains relatively strong, you know, grows next year or, you know, it shrinks and goes into recession. 
So that's the big question. Uh, if you viewed our our webinar, which everyone can uh, find over on our YouTube channel, uh, Invest Talk, so you can you can find it over there. And, and, and one of those slides is an overview of the type of value sectors. Now, if inflation remains relatively high, now do you think it will moderate next year? That, that's the thing with inflation narrative. It's it's transitory. Well, what does transitory mean? Uh, if we stay around three or four percent, is that mean that uh, which which is much higher than we're used to over the past couple of decades? Does that mean that that's transitory because it now came down from six to four, or is that not transitory because it's above kind of our longer term averages that we're we're used to? So what does that mean exactly? But what I can say is if inflation should stay relatively elevated. There are different sectors that will do well. Um, and the healthcare, the utility side, that's typically value sectors. Uh, but, and those will do well if the economy also shrinks and we have a stagflationary environment. But if we have reflation, where you have inflation remains relatively hot and the economy remains relatively strong, you're talking about energy, commodities, industrials, financials, the cyclical names. Those are the sectors that should do well. So it depends on the growth side, not just the inflation side as well. Let's go to Rob in Georgia. He wants to talk about saving money for a home purchase. Hey, Justin, how are you? Uh, love the Here's my question for tonight. I uh, handle uh, the finances and savings for two of my daughters, and they're much mm. smarter and make a little bit more money than their old man. Uh, they've got six months' worth of savings, and they're mm-hmm. trying to save up for both either a car or a house. Mm-hmm. And right now, we've just got about $50,000 just in a checking account. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if you can recommend, is there a short-term yeah for savings for this time to get a little higher uh, uh, re- reward, so to speak? Yeah, uh, I use Marcus by Goldman Sachs. I'll tell you, that's uh, you get about half a percent. It's nothing great, you know. I believe uh, you know some excess cash in there. Um, it's better than most checking or savings accounts that you're probably getting nothing, next to nothing. Um, half right. percent also sounds like next to nothing as well, but at least it's uh, FDIC insured and um, easy to get money in and out. So uh, that's the the best you can do. There are some other. You maybe get a bit higher than that, uh, and you can go to like bankrate.com and look for uh, FDIC-insured money market accounts or high-yield savings accounts, things like that. It's probably the best way to to find it, but um, Marcus is one I've seen that has the best uh, rate for the kind of safety that that, that I want. So um, that's probably the best you can do, unfortunately, in this very low interest rate environment. That's excellent. And uh, again, love the show. Uh, keep up the good work, guys. Appreciate it, Rob. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here are some questions from iTunes reviewers. Marty Mann says, if I understand correctly, when a dividend is paid, the amount comes directly from the stock price and is reflected the next day. You must pay capital gains on the dividend. If that is correct, is this, uh, what is the difference between a 2% dividend and just selling 2% of your holdings in that stock? You make a great point. You're absolutely right. Uh, when uh, a company goes X dividend, typically it will drop that amount of whatever the, the dividend is. And so the theory is, well, then if it drops that amount, then why, why take the dividend? Why pay the tax? Here it is. It's discipline. And that's what all these studies look at of uh, histories of dividends. It's about capital discipline within the business. And when companies pay out 
uh, a dividend. When it, what it does is makes management conscious of that need to continue to pay out that dividend, uh, and therefore their capital allocation becomes a bit more conservative. Uh, they, they scrutinize every purchase of new companies, capital outlays, etc., because they want to maintain that dividend. They don't want to be the one in charge when the dividend gets cut, and therefore. It shows that dividend-paying companies have better capital discipline than those that do not, who just uh, occur uh, cash on the balance sheet and suddenly they pay out, uh, you know, they make a bad acquisition or something like that. So that's what dividends are there for. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. You want to contact me directly? Easy. Leave a message on the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm money manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.